Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Hey, as we're, we're transitioning uh, to, to kind of sermon time uh, this morning, uh, we're pausing in our time in the Gospel of Luke, and while all of our students are on summer break and where families are in the season of summer vacations, as you see on the front of our bulletin, um, we too are going to go on a summer vacation of sorts uh, here as our sermon series for the summer. Uh, we're going to be spending time uh, learning about what God has revealed to his people in the mountains, uh, at the beach, on, at the river, at the lake. Um, we, we see that God is always at work. You know, even when we think we go on vacations, God is always at work. He's always teaching his people something. And so this morning we're going to begin our some, quote, summer vacation with really the purest form of vacation, a road trip, a, a great road trip. You know, if you look at the book of Genesis, it can really be divided into two parts, right? The, the first part is Genesis 1 through 11. It's called primeval, primeval history. And as you read it, it reads differently than the rest of Genesis. Uh, this is God interacting with the whole world, that, that God created the world out of nothing. And we read about these ancient events that help us make better sense of life today, right? It's things like the fall into sin, uh, things like the flood, uh, things like the Tower of Babel and humanity's almost insatiable desire to make our names great. Um, and all that is Genesis 1 through 11. It's God's dealing with, with just humanity. But then when you get to Genesis 12, all of a sudden it, it's like it's a, different, it's a different feel. Genesis 12 through 50, everything changes. Instead of focusing on all of humanity, the, the, for the rest of Genesis... Moses zooms in on and, and it was relating about one family of, of one man. And so our passage this morning, Genesis 11 going into 12, isn't just like, this is like the central passage for the rest of Genesis, but this is the rest of the Bible, like everything from Old Testament, New Testament, and everything we believe about faith, salvation, and hope in Christ all came about because some 3,800 years ago, God called a man named Abram, who we're going to call him Abraham from, from, from henceforth. He called a man, Abraham, to go on a road trip. And by faith, Abraham walked it. And nothing has been the same since. And, and so with that, could we go to God's word this morning and join Abram, Abraham on this first road trip? to learn what true, what, what actual faith in God looks like. So this is God's word to us, Genesis. We're going, we're going to back up just a little bit to get a running start. Genesis eleven, twenty-seven. we'll read through twelve nine. Now these are the generations of Terah. Uh, Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. And Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abraham and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, and the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Ishka. Now, 
Now Sarah was barren. She had no child. And Terah took Abram his son and Lot and the son of Her- Lot the son of Haran his grandson and Sarah his daughter-in-law his son Abram's wife and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan but when they came to Haran they settled there the days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran now the Lord said to Abram go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country and on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. This is uh, the very word of the Lord, every bit of its truth. Uh, He gives it to us because he loves us. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, as we walk through this passage, uh, we ask that your spirit would come and teach us what this ancient promise, uh, this ancient road trip has to do with us today. Uh, So Lord, may you hide your word uh, deep in our hearts this morning. We ask this in Christ. Amen. So if if you've ever wondered what uh, faith a real faith in God looks like. You know, we all kind of wrestle with faith and doubt and uncertainty. Like, what, what, what does all that mean? And who else better to teach us about faith than the father of the faithful, right? Abraham. Because as we look at his life, uh, we see that first, genuine faith is a gracious gift of God. That genuine faith is first and foremost a gift. You know, it's easy to think, right, that surely, surely Abraham must have been a really great guy, right? He, he must have been a really great guy for God to call him, or we can think there's this pecking order when it comes to following the Lord. It's like, it's like Abraham is at the top, and then it's like Moses, and, you know, we'll put the Apostle Paul in that order somewhere, and then somewhere down the list is like Mother Teresa and Johnny Erickson Tata, and then way down the list, maybe like your local pastor or like some really, like, holy uh, you know, lady in the church. And then somewhere around the bottom rung of the ladder is, is you. It's kind of where you think you are. Well, look, hopefully, hopefully this, this is eye-opening and really encouraging, okay? You know, when God called Abraham, like, he wasn't even on the ladder, right? Like, heck, he, he wasn't even near the ladder. Abraham was from, he grew up in this place called Ur, the Chaldeans, which was an ancient city in 
or a city in ancient Mesopotamia, which we would call modern-day Iraq. And, and if, if you've ever wondered why pastors or scholars make such a big deal about why Abraham was from there, here's why. It's because really until about the 1920s, very little was known about Ur. We just knew it was this, you know, Fertile Crescent, Mesopotamia, ancient city. And so there was speculation that maybe it was like a primitive society, not much going on. But then in the 1920s, this archaeologist named Leonard Woolley excavated the city. And as they dug down, they were blown away because what they unearthed was a fully functioning, I'm talking like highly advanced culture and highly advanced religious system. And so this wasn't just some like country bumpkin town that he was from. This is a culture, as Woolley said, as sophisticated as any Egyptian dynasty. And so their, their pagan, pagan religion of moon worship dominated life. You know how we catechize our kids here, right? Well, they catechize their kids in moon worship from cradle to the grave and everything in between. And so excavations of the site uncovered like child sacrifice and death pits and all sorts of pagan rituals, uh, which means like Abraham wasn't in this primitive religious culture where he was kind of like this free agent looking for the next God to come along. No, he was heavily ensconced in this. You know, as, as Lewis read this morning in Joshua rehashing this, he's saying, look, all of our forefathers, like they worshiped other gods. So he wasn't in that, nor was he in a religious culture where, you know, there's people like you might like stump your toe and you might say a cuss word here or there, but deep down, he's a good guy. You know, he's a really just a good guy. Like, that's not the case with Abraham. Like, you're, you're not seeing Abraham at church on Christmas or even on Easter. Like, you got to go to, like, Burning Man to find Abraham, okay? He's just not, he's not around the church. Abraham was a full-on, moon-worshipping, child-sacrificing pagan. And it was into that dark, desolate place with no knowledge nor really care of Yahweh and, and where many of us would say, Dude, it's just a lost cause, that God spoke and called Abraham. You know, this is kind of reminiscent of Genesis 1 where God speaks, right? He, he speaks in the darkness and, and there's light. And really besides, isn't that what happened to you? Or really to anyone who the, the Spirit applies the gospel, right, to our hearts? It's light into the darkness, right? It's, it's new life springs up out of our cold, dead hearts. So here we see that Abraham, he didn't choose God. <laughs> no, no, God was the pursuer here. He initiated the whole thing. As uh, Brandon Lorenzen said, Lorenzen, uh, and I'm using some of his stuff here to organize this, he said this call of God wasn't an invitation. You know how sometimes pastors, and I'll do this too, like, you know, I'll we'll issue an invitation, right? There's, there's an invitation to respond to the gospel, an invitation. And you can do what you want with that. But when God calls you, it's not an invitation. Uh, when God calls, it is a summons, okay? Uh, this is God in action. And after God called Abraham, you'll see there that God said five times, I will. Who's doing it? I will. I will. I will. It's all God. In, in Deuteronomy 7, do you remember how Moses summed this up? He said, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the people on the face of this earth, he's, he's chosen you. It's not because that you were more in number. 
It's not because you're, you're strong, because you are the fewest and you're the weakest of all. The reason the Lord chose you was because he loves you. And in case you think, well, that's how God worked in the Old Testament, do you remember what Jesus said to his disciples? He said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And then later, one of his disciples, uh, the disciple John, would sum it up this way. He said, we love God because why? Yeah, it's not because we're great people. We love God because God first loved us. So Westminster and friends, genuine faith isn't manufactured. It's not like, let's sing one more stanza of that hymn so that we can stir up some goosebumps and some feels. No, like it is a gracious gift from our gracious God, which is, is super reassuring, right? Because if we could earn our faith, we would surely lose our faith. But it's a gift. You know the old, the old story, the old picture, word picture, when you see a turtle on a fence post, what do you know? What do you know when you see a turtle on a fence post? Well, you know it didn't get there by itself. And so it is with God's people, right? If you discover in your life that you have faith, what do you know? What can you know? Well, you know that you did not get it by yourself. It, is, it was given to you by God. It is a gift, a gift. Which then brings us to the second thing we see, and that's what does this gift of faith produce? That genuine faith produces some things in the life of believers, which in no particular order, these are all subpoints. First, we see that saving faith produces a new allegiance. You know, a new allegiance. Uh, a new thing happens in our hearts. You know, God called Abraham, did you notice that, to leave his home country and to leave his people. You know, the, the, the call of faith is a call to leave our sources of identity and security other than the Lord, which is tremendously scary. And, and, and like most people, you're, not, you're just not going to do this apart from the Spirit empowering you to do this. Um, can only be done if Christ is more beautiful to us than all of our other fancies. You think about this, Abraham was 75 years old. You know, most of us are, are living our, our, hopefully our golden years at age 75. Abraham had hardly even begun living his life of faith at 75. 75 years of a life deeply rooted in Ur. And, and I mean, that was his comfort zone. That was his family. That was his people. I mean, that was his place. You know, those of you who are lifelong Greenwoodians, you know well this, right? You know the security and the blessing and even really the privilege of living around your family and living around your extended family. Like, I mean, you have a built-in support system with you. You have a safety net. I mean, there's a lot of security there. And you say, these are my people, and to leave that support system, that is really, really scary. Well, God said, not only do I want you to leave your people, but I also want you to leave your father's house, which back then families stayed together for like generations. Right? And your father's house, that was your place of wealth and well-being. <laughs> there was no social security programs. Like your family, your home was that. And so God was stripping away all sources of false security and, and saying, Abraham, following me must be your top priority. Your security, your identity, like your everything is rooted in me now. And y'all, I know that may sound extreme, but it is really gracious. 
Because it is so tempting, is it not, to look to our families and to look to our connections to, as our sense of identity, our security, our, our hope, instead of the Lord. And God is saying, like, that is not what the life of faith looks like. And God says, look, family's wonderful, but you must know that the, the peace, security, and hope that you truly long for is found in Him. And having tasted that, our top allegiance, our top loyalty is no longer you know, to our family or to our friends or even to our sports teams. It's not even to our political party. But it is to the Lord. Like you are something new, something else, walking by faith. And look, it's easier to see that God is all you need when he's all you have. And so sometimes to see that, it's easier for God just to remove you from a place. And so the invitation to follow like, is an invitation to leave, right? To follow Christ means we have to leave sin, right? We have to walk away from some things uh, to leave sources of security. It's to know that our priorities as Christians will look different than the unbelieving world, okay? There's a lot of syncretism that goes on with, like, Christians and the unbelieving world. We can't all do the same thing. Like, there's actually, like, an ordering of priorities that looks different, and I mean, even Jesus said, Jesus said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not, not worthy of me. And he's not saying, look, you've got to hate your family if you're going to be, a, this is like a cult, okay? No, he's saying that compared to the great love we experience in Jesus, so great is that, that it's as if everything else we hate. That's what it, it as compared to. And so to whom or to what is your first allegiance right now? You know, maybe we've gotten caught up in the siren call of culture recently. You know, placing our identity in ways the culture tells us that we're supposed to identify. And we just kind of go along. Or maybe we've drifted a bit and we've planted our flag in first and foremost being a southerner, right? Or first and foremost being a bulldog or a social activist or conservative, or a liberal, or whatever. Like, may this be, may you hear this as a call back. Christian, you are first and foremost forgiven and loved in Christ. Like, no other identity trumps that. And, and it sounds radical, because it is. We don't bow to a flag. Uh, we don't bow to a president. No, our, our first allegiance is to our King Jesus and to his kingdom. Which then brings us to the second thing faith produces. It produces trust. Uh, you know, this is, if you hear nothing else, just listen for like five minutes and then you can just think about whatever you're thinking about. Like, this is it. This is just as ginormous. Faith is not the absence of doubt, right? Faith is not the absence of uncertainty. Faith is trust in God's promises in the face of, even in spite of, uncertainty. You know, to this Flannery O'Connor wrote, people think faith is this big electric blanket when of course it is the cross. You arrive at enough certainty to be able to make your way, but it is making it in the darkness. Don't expect faith to clear things up for you. Faith is trust, not certainty. And that's what we see with Abraham here, isn't it? I mean, this passage, this, this 
is a control freak's worst nightmare. Because we can be down with God calling us somewhere else as long as we know where that somewhere else is. Or as we can kind of prepare and like search up what's it like there. But did you notice God didn't tell Abraham where he was going? It just go. You, you got to leave. Just go. So Abraham had no certainty in where he was going, but he trusted the one who sent him. So uh, parents, you know, if, if you've driven, like if you're in the car with your kids for more than like 10 minutes, right, um, there's this question that inevitably comes from your children, right? Uh, it, it's, are we there yet? When are we going to get there? Are we there yet? And every time my kids say that, I, I almost, well, I, I just say, listen, we're going to get there when we get there, okay? Just, can you just trust me that I will get you there? Just trust, trust me. That's what we see here. Our, our problems with faith come when we try to have certainty about things that we were never promised to have certainty in. You know, God never promises us rainbows and butterflies. Right? He never promises us smooth sailing filled with no cancer, no dementia, no heartbreak, no tears. No, what, what he promised and what we can have absolute certainty in is him. You with me? Like, like him, not your circumstances, him. The reality is that he will be with us through thick and thin, that he will be with you through the good, the bad, and yes, even the ugly. You know, working all things for our ultimate good. And when we worry, we're often trying to pry certainty out of things that just were never designed to give us certainty. And so Abraham left his country not knowing where he was going. Then he left his people with the promise that God was going to make him a great nation. I mean, and you think about it, like, he doesn't even have one child at this point. He's an old man. His wife is barren. They've already been through this month after month, heartbreak after heartbreak. She has everybody around them. You, you know, you've experienced this, right? All their family, everybody around them is having kids. But they're not. So how's that supposed to work? Well, he didn't know. But in Genesis 12, he trusted God to make good of the promise. And then when Abraham eventually did get to the land, like he gets to Canaan and God's like, you're there. Um, it wasn't like he could just walk in and have this land, right? When he got there, it was already occupied by other people. The Canaanites, who, by the way, were like big-time nations and big-time armies. And I mean, like, talk about every reason to have uncertainty. Yet, though Abraham didn't know how, like, like literally couldn't even imagine how God was going to make good of this, he followed, trusting the promise. And y'all... That's it, right? Like walking by faith is going through life, trusting that, you know what, regardless of the cancer diagnosis or like, like whatever it is that you're going through, they're like, this is not good. We, trusting that God is who he said he is and he will do what he said he's going to do, even if we can't fathom, like, even if our circumstances tell us otherwise and cause us to really have doubts, that's okay. Of course we doubt. Faith is not trusting in our circumstances. It is trusting in our good, good Father who knows best. It's trusting our Savior who promised to never leave us nor forsake us. You know, as Corey Tinboon said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. It was easy to get sidetracked by our circumstances. 
But this is a call to go back to the one, the only one that we can fully trust. So it's trust, which then brings us to the third thing saving faith produces and, and how we'll close. <laughs> God said go, so Abraham went. Uh, but did you notice what he did as he went? Uh, what, do, what do those who have been called by God and given the gift of faith do? What, what do we do? Well, they, we, respond in worship. And, and notice, like, we don't worship God because we think that God will love us more because we worship. No, we, we worship because we have been loved by God. So worship is a key marker of faith. In verse 6, when Abraham finally got to the promised land, Moses notes that he, he came to Shechem. And that's the same place that, you know, Lewis read about. He came to Shechem, which is, Shechem's, think of like the very center, it's the heartland of Canaan. And there he went to this place called the Oak of Morah, which was Shechem's really center for pagan worship. So Morah means oracle giver. Uh, so this was the place that the Canaanites came to hear the oracles from their pagan soothsayers. So think Harry Potter a little bit. Think someone has, they got the tea leaves in the thing and they're reading the tea leaves and they're telling people what the gods say. Uh, so the Canaanites would come and hear what the gods were trying to tell them through the soothsayer. All right. Well, what did Abraham do? I, this is pretty wild. I, I love this. What did Abraham do? He went right next to the place of pagan worship, built an altar, a place of worship to the true God, Yahweh. You know, this is really a picture of how we engage this world, right? Um, that we now, this is the Tim Kellerism, winsomely, you know, we worship, winsomely we proclaim the gospel, even like right next to the Oak of Morah. So then he went to the hill country. Moses mentions Bethel. You know, Bethel literally means house of El. You know, in Canaanite or ancient Canaanite culture, El was like their big dog god. He was the leader of their pantheon of other gods. And so Bethel was one of the major worship places for their god El. What did Abraham do? When everyone else was bowing to El or their cultural gods, he didn't syncretize or say, <laughs> when in Rome, you know, he's kind of, I'll worship El too, I guess. No, right there in the heart of a pagan land, he built another altar and began calling upon the name of the Lord, which that doesn't mean that like, he's crying out to God. Calling upon the name of the Lord means that he preached. Like, he started confessing and proclaiming his faith. So contrary to, to Babel, he was making God's name famous in Canaan. <laughs> Victor Hamilton said, Abraham the pilgrim became Abraham the builder, but he didn't build a city. No, he built places of worship. Y'all know when the pilgrims first came over to America, settling in the new world, you know the first thing they built when they got over? First building they built. Uh, it was a place to worship. It was a place to worship. You know, as you read the Bible, it's interesting that the only architecture that remained from Abraham's life were the altars that he built, the places he built for worship. So, you know, for a long time, Christianity has been the norm in our culture. And in the Deep South, we're still kind of holding on, but kind of not. Uh, for a long time, the majority of people regularly went to worship. That was just part of their, part of their weekly rhythm. It's just worship. Even if you really weren't a believer, everybody else is doing it, so you just kind of did it. But that is not where we are today. You know, we live in a post-Christian nation. 
a nation that has far more in common with ancient Canaan than we care to, to know. And so today, like to go with the flow in a post-Christian nation will lead us to prioritize and even worship things other than our true God. And so we can't depend on a Christian subculture anymore to keep our rhythm of worship for us. That no longer exists. And so that means there has to be a part of us that like Abraham, like, you know, even in the heart of a pagan land, we're setting up shop to worship our, the true God. You know, for years, pastors were shown deference in the community. You know, pastors were seen as leaders of the good, uh, for the good, um, not anymore. And there was a day where, where seminaries were slam-packed full of, of candidates, uh, not anymore. Um, you ask many, many kind of people in ministry right now what they feel about ministry, and they, like there was a time where pastors felt like they were about to conquer the world. You don't feel like that anymore. In many ways, many new coming pastors are timid because we live in a world now where like you get no social credit being a pastor today. Um, you know, to, pastors today no longer, are no longer seen as a, a force for the good but are really a relic of the past. You know, to, a, to a post-Christian nation, I represent everything wrong, everything backwards, like everything bigoted. And so maybe today, more than any other time in our nation's history, what we learn on this road trip with Abraham is particularly applicable. Right? You know, Jesus, uh, Abraham never really saw this promise played out in his lifetime. You know, Jesus, Jesus tells us that Abraham did get a glimpse. He saw it from afar. And so he did get a glimpse of Jesus. But y'all, what, what Abraham longed to see, we have in HD. If you are in Christ. You are called his people. And he has promised that he is preparing you a place. And all who are in him have peace, peace with God. And if you've experienced that, then you have been given the gift of faith. And like Abraham, we respond by like, we, we will not walk perfectly by faith in this life. You know, often, you know, you read about Abraham, it's, it's pretty crazy stories that he got into. Instead of walking often, our, our life will feel more like stumbling by faith. But as we zoom back and we see the big picture that God does not lose his people, in the long run, we will be compelled not to fall for the shenanigans of cultural gods or to worship the aspartame of what everyone else is doing in our humanistic culture. But in the very belly of the beast, even near the Oak of Mora, we will intentionally and joyfully gather to worship the true God. Y'all, weekly, that weekly rhythm of worship is, is more important to our souls than we can imagine because we're all worshiping something. The question is who or what are we worshiping? So real faith is a gift. It comes to us from being made new in Christ and when that happens, the Spirit gives us a new allegiance a robust trust, and a new priority of worship. Amen. Amen. Well, let me pray for us. Uh, Father, uh, thank you uh, for this, this time to take a road trip with Abraham and to see what faith looks like. Uh, Lord, this is often a stumbling life of faith, uh, but Lord, remind us, that, remind us of the source, uh, the object of our faith, uh, Lord, may we respond 
and, and be like Abraham, not shying away from the culture, uh, but winsomely proclaiming the hope of the gospel to all those who are around us while trusting the promise. Uh, so Lord, help us not to have faith in our circumstances, but just faith in you. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.